not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. Ladies and gentlemen, All right, welcome to the Melfi and Prezzo Show. Welcome, team. How are we? Um, today, guys, we are joined by a special guest, one of their NRL goats. Sure. <laughs> 253 games. Big Dave Shillington. How are you, mate? G'day, guys. Good, good. Thanks for having me. My pleasure, mate. Awesome. Pleasure. When, uh, when Big Rhino asked if we want to have Dave Shillington, I was like, yeah, yeah. why not? That's it, mate. Why not? <laughs> although, although we're New South Wales, man. <laughs> Hey, we'll get a Queenslander on. That's it. <laughs> uh, it's a pleasure to be on a, a world-famous podcast. So congratulations <laughs> on your success. Two years, mate. A couple of years. <laughs> Bill Rogan. That's what we call us. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, how are you, mate? Are you busy? Yeah, just uh, just finished up a bit of a lunch, actually. And um, I was in Parliament House up here in Brizzy um, in their cellar room meeting with... Uh, one of our local members of parliament and just having a bit of chat about the upcoming election. So um, it was kind of interesting. I don't love my politics, but I did enjoy their stories. It was um, politics is kind of similar to sport. It's very, um, very critique, critiqued all the time. And lots of public interest, lots of corporate backing. You've got to battle against each other and the media. So um, there was a few parallels there we could sort of discuss. Awesome, yeah. Yeah. So before we kind of get into your career now, what are you actually doing at the moment work-wise to be doing stuff like that? Yeah, so um, with that one, we, um, we, I work for uh, Playbook Coach, and we're a sports coaching platform. We connect coaches in, in all sorts of sports of all different abilities and ages uh, with the next generation of athletes coming through. So uh, if, if a young fella, or it doesn't have to be young, if a young fella's looking for some rugby league coaching or a young girl's looking for some netball coaching, typically, then uh, we can connect them with coaches in their areas. So, yeah, awesome. And that's um, Australia-wide? Australia-wide, yeah, we're pretty concentrated on the eastern seaboard, as, as a lot of businesses are. But, um, yeah, we've sort of uh, got about 500 coaches on the platform now. And, um, and they're, they're coaches that really you know, love coaching and mentoring and, and, and want to get back. So, it's um, yeah, it's pretty cool. There's lots of great testimonials of young kids just really thriving in their sport thanks to the coaching and mentoring they're getting. And how long has that been going for, mate? Uh, it's been going for the, probably the last two and a half years uh slowly um it's it gained traction quite slowly early on uh we don't do any real advertising um try and do it all organically through through social media uh but um our really popular sports are the queensland netball women uh up here uh, they get booked out all the time and uh the afl players down in melbourne um, very very popular down there uh and then um yeah, rugby league's starting to grow, gain a bit of momentum as well. So, yeah, it's good fun. I've never actually heard of it, eh? Playbook, yeah. Yeah, we have to ramp up our advertising. We've just been yeah, growing slowly, but, um, but uh, yeah, we're doing plenty of coaching sessions and getting plenty of bookings. It's great. Yeah, yeah. And are they all sort of contracted to your, the business and how it works? Or it's like, or they deal with themselves? Yeah. Yeah, we're just the connectors, really, the platform. So they, the coaches register on the platform. Uh, they, um, they fill out a bio and talk about their strengths and uh, what they're good at and, and what their expertise is, I guess. Uh, and then the a person in Brisbane, for example, might be looking for a netball coach and they'll bring up 
maybe a dozen netball coaches and they can see, oh, this person might have coached uh, at the top level or at junior level for a while, or this person might have played professionally for a while, might have played this position, um, they cost this amount and they're available at this time. And then the person will um, weigh all that up and see if they want to book or not. Awesome. Yeah, good setup. Always kind of platform. Good setup. Yeah. yeah. Very good. Awesome. Um, all right. So that's now. Let's go back a few years, mate. Um, I want to know the journey to the journey to NRL. Where did you start? How did you? I mean, obviously, where um, where did you start playing your first game of footy as a junior? And then yeah, uh, it was, um, yeah. I didn't think uh, obviously playing as a junior, um, playing in the NRL was an option, or wasn't really a dream of mine. I guess as a young kid, you just play for the for the love of it, for the fun of it. Yep. Uh, all my mates that I went to grade one with at St. Anthony's in Brisbane, uh, they all went down and played under sevens at Brothers Juniors in Stafford in Brisbane. And uh, so I went with them and had a couple other players, uh, brothers that played the club as well. Uh, so yeah, we just all went down and played for fun and had a blast. Um, I remember in under sevens or eights, we used to keep um, uh, try tallies of how many uh, tries we scored that year and, and compete against each other. I scored about 27 tries. <laughs> and uh, that was stark contrast to my NRL career where I did quite a couple of nudie runs in different <laughs> seasons. So no, no tries in several seasons for the NRLs. But um, uh, yeah, so I just went, went through the grades there, brothers. Uh, changed, changed a couple of clubs uh, from time to time. Just wherever my mates played and my brothers played as well. Uh, and then um, finished up school and, and kicked on with my NRL career after that. So were you always growing up through the juniors? Were you always a prop? No, because um, I had a bit of a growth spurt in my mid-teens. So I was a bit of a lock, a bit of a tackler, I guess, and um, not much of a runner, to be honest. Um, I had, had some, a pass in me, and I was, I was fairly skillful, but I certainly wasn't big. And I, I used to remember, it's, it's quite ironic, really, I used to remember that um, the big Tongan players used to steamroll me and um, run over the top of me, these big players. I think they used to target me a lot. <laughs> um, so I had to learn how to tackle all right. Yeah. And then... Um, Obviously, a decade later, I was beelining for these little fellas myself as a big prop, <laughs> trying to run over the top of them. Yes. Uh, but yeah, when I hit about 15, uh, I from 15 to 17, I probably shot up about, I don't know, six inches or something and put on about 15 kilos. And uh, So I got a bit, bit bigger and slower and went to the second row and then a bit bigger and slower again and went into the front row. So um, that was sort of my progression into being a, a classic uh, classical front row. How much weight did you actually put on over the years? Uh, well, probably those years, I probably went from about 85 kilos, I reckon, as a 15-year-old to about 103, I remember I was in, as a 17-year-old in grade 12. Yep. Uh, so yep. I was a pretty big boy by the time I got to grade 12. Uh, and then I remember when I started the Roosters, there, as an 18-year-old, they were all really big players back then. There was more interest changes and there's a big, bit of emphasis on the big man. And I had to put on... I had to go from about 103 kilos to 115 over two years as well. So there's a couple of massive, massive growth spurts there. All, all natural, of course. Yeah, of course, <laughs> of course. <laughs> hey, What's the uh, food? The Gatorade powder. Yeah. <laughs> sure. yep. Big Nick Belitis with the paper bags. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. But I, I like telling the stories of the, uh, of the growth spurts as a teenager when I chat to junior footy clubs and, and I talk about, you know, growing six inches and putting on 20 kilos and, 
and I see these really little whippets there in, in the under tens that are tiny and they're looking up the sky going, maybe that could be me too. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One day. Oh, unless you're Adrian yeah. Nandy, so the whole career. Yeah. yeah. Um, so obviously Roosters is where you started at as an 18 year old. Um, you played most of your career there or was most of that Canberra? Canberra was the greatest. Oh, yeah, it was, it was even split years wise, uh, but I played first grade the whole time at Canberra. So I'm probably most remembered uh, for my Canberra days, I guess. Yep, uh, yep. In, in Sydney, I had to work, work my way through the grades, of course, and play under 20s and uh, reserve grade and then into first grade. Um, so got a few years there and then got a good opportunity to go to Canberra and uh, played a good solid seven years down there. Seven years, yeah, well. Yeah. Big career, mate. Yeah, yeah. A lot of footy. Um. And you played 14 tests, is that right as well? 14 tests, yep, yep. And eight origins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 14 tests, eight origins. I, I remember um, when I got picked uh, for the Australian side uh, in my first year, um, I was down the down the pub with uh, Michael Crocker and, and my old Roosters teammate, and he goes, Shula, I can't believe you got picked for the Australian side. Jesus, they must be scraping the bottom of the barrel for front rowers. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he... Um, and he wasn't actually wrong. Uh, the uh, Luke Bailey and uh, Steve Price and a couple of other props that were these sort of incumbent props there uh, that I was, you know, obviously hoping slyly that they'd get injured or, or obviously trying to play better than them to get picked. Yeah. Uh, they actually got injured and, um, and they needed to bring through the sort of next generation of front rowers. And um, Tim Sheens was the coach at the time and, and took a chance on me, thankfully. And, um, and I got my first start. Yeah, that's awesome. So, I know that's probably the only question, but I know a lot of plays, um, obviously, to wear the green and gold, is that's huge, all right? But in terms of the comparison between putting on a Maroons jersey and an Australian jersey, do you hold them quite close to each other? Or one, like, is, you know, having a green and gold, do you, does that mean more than, obviously, Origin? Because, obviously, in New South Wales and Queensland, Origin's the pinnacle, really. Um, so, in terms of, what like, for you... Was green and gold obviously the pinnacle, or did you know mean more to place out of origin? Yeah, oh, it's such a tough question, hey. Um, I, I try to answer it and usually dribble on about something that doesn't give anything too definitive, but um, yeah. It, it's yeah, you're really torn there because yeah. playing for Australia obviously should be the should be the pinnacle, uh, and I did love it. Uh, those natural rivalries with New Zealand and England. Uh, they're, they're enormous, those games. You know, so much um, singing the national anthem and, and wearing your country's colours, playing against other countries and um, essentially going to war was, um, that was such a memorable moment. And, and we had some really heated games too, uh, you know, versus New Zealand. We got punch-ups and had close calls and lost one on the, on the buzzer. And uh, against England, we are playing against like the Burgess boys and um, those sorts of fellas. And they were, they were, they were big games. So... I never want to discount that, um, but, but on the same page, State of Origin is just a beast of its own. Yeah. Uh, especially playing up at Suncorp, uh, but I, not, it's not just Suncorp, like playing down in Sydney. I remember when I went as a fan uh, two years ago and uh, sat up in the, in the, in the high the stands there and I was just thinking, wow, this is incredible. People are so passionate and and a home ground advantage is so important. So that was in Sydney and it was 90% blues there, it felt like, and they were so loud. The blues won that one. 
Uh, but then, as I was saying, at Suncorp, uh, the Queensland fans are just fanatical. They're hanging over that fence, just screaming, uh, scre- screaming support for the Maroons and screaming obscenities at the Blues players. <laughs> uh, so I can't imagine. I kind of would like to feel, experience what it feels like to be a Blue and run out at Suncorp Stadium just, just yeah. for the experience of it because it must be so daunting for them. Uh, and, and add to that, you know, that Maroon streak uh, we had. Uh, it would have been a bloody lousy feeling for the Blues running out there after six or seven series lost in a row. Uh, so, yeah, I, look, I, lo- I loved both experiences and they're both very different. Uh, I probably have to say playing for Australia if I had to make a decision um, is, is the pinnacle. But, um, geez, Origin's um, pretty close behind. Yeah, I can only imagine. Yeah, definitely. Could imagine, mate. Play one game, learn all that. Mate, through 215 games, mate, you probably got met a lot of personalities, you know, and people played a big part in your career, you know. A lot of like a lot of um, players, they say Wayne Bennett's played a big part in people's career or is there an individual or a coach or someone that growing up do you think that, like, you know, you probably wouldn't have got to the stages where you are if you didn't meet them or had a few tough conversations <laughs> and bad or defining moments? Yeah, oh, so many, hey. Um, yeah, just... I'd have a pretty long, long list, and I don't think your podcast would go for long enough to, I guess, pay tribute to some people. But, uh, but briefly, I guess, uh, from the very early days in Sydney, I lived with uh, Arthur Beetson, and he was just the most uh, generous fellow in the world. He just um, gave you his time. He'd give you the shirt off your back if you needed it, uh, and he 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 kind of helped me sort of love playing at the Roosters. Um, brought me into his family and the family. So um, he was he was amazing for me, Arthur. Uh, uh, when Brad Fittler was coach, I loved him at the Roosters. He taught me a lot about uh, owning my position as a front rower and uh, you know what, what my role was and, and how to be a bit more dominant because I'm a pretty um, standoffish sort of person generally. So he, he sort of helped me get my head around um, being more dominant. Uh, going down to Canberra, Dave Ferner, I love getting coached by Dave. He sort of gave me a lot of freedom to throw an offload in my game and have a bit more creativity and, and freedom rather than just bashing um, the ball up. And um, But, yeah, I guess, and I guess probably finally, um, yeah, Mel Meninga is an origin coach. Uh, he, um, yeah, I can't say enough nice things about Mel. He, he instills that intent, that passion, your purpose in playing for the Maroons. Yep. Uh, when he talks, you know, everybody listens. And um, if he told told you to bloody jump off a cliff, you you probably would, uh, because you you know he's got your best interests at heart, and you know that he's doing nothing um, that's selfish or anything like that. So he he was a big big part of all that Maroons uh, success, yeah. and um, yeah, I loved playing under him. Yeah, was mate. So going back to like Origin coaches and club coaches, a big difference in the roles and what they did. Say example in, in an Origin coaching arena compared to a club one because you bring all these guys that, you know, all of them play against each other. Well, against Brisbane, all of them play together. But with their role is to unifying them and get them together and sort of bonding, obviously, um, in two or three short weeks. You're not, you're not getting taught tactics and how to play football as much, are you? Um, it's about playing for the guy next to you, obviously, for three matches. And what's the difference there you found? Yeah... I'd, if I was going to be a coach, I'd much rather be an origin coach than a club coach because uh, one of the key differences for them is just that grind of, of week-to-week struggle 
uh, you know, just challenges popping up five times a day, every day for, um, you know, the 48 weeks, I guess you're probably at work. Uh, so, but um, as far as motivating the team, I know Mel, um, uh, you know, I definitely wouldn't discount his coaching, as I just said, but he had an awesome team to work with. And yeah. the, uh, to answer your question, like his biggest role was to make sure the team just performed at their best um, because he had such a good team. So he had a team of stars and he had to bring them together as a star team, I guess. Yeah. And so he worked on on the on their why, I guess, their, what do they want to achieve? How do they want to be remembered? Yep. Uh, and then when he got into camp, he just set up the camp for success. He had the right other um, right support staff in there, like the Steve Walterses and Alfie Langers and those sorts of guys, Trevor Gilmeister, um, blokes that have been there and done it before and, and you know, typified everything of what it is to be a Queenslander. Um, but also were those origin type sort of, it's hard to explain, like the origin suited players where you know when you have to roll your sleeves up, grit your teeth and hang on and give it to someone, but then you can also kick back and have a beer and relax because you can't be that intense all the time. So um, Mel had lots of people around him like that that enjoyed a beer, had a laugh, but uh, when it came to representing the state, um, they were dead serious about it. So, um, yeah, that's sort of, that was Mel's style, I guess, and what he applied um, in origin. Uh, But I tell you what, I'm sure he wouldn't like to be a a regular NRL coach in that grind week to week. Not not this day and age anyway. All right. Who was the best player you ever played with? Oh, um, I played with so many legends. I I feel so fortunate um, to have come through in the area that I did, I guess. And I'm sure maybe a lot of players say that. I don't know. Or maybe it's just that I got to play rep footy. I got to play alongside some greats. Uh, But when you you think of that Maroons team, it's not just the, the big three or four, like the Smith Slater, Cronk Thurston. It's not just them. Like, I also got to play with Lockyer and Petro and Hodjo and GI and, um, yeah, all, all those guys. It's just, there's so many to name. Uh, Matty Scott is a front row. I love playing alongside him. Um, I love being, yeah, I love being mentored by um, Petro. He was just a really good professional, great bloke. Wasn't worried about, um, himself as much as he's worried about the people around him and, and supporting them. Um, but then, then I guess on a more of a, on a club level, uh, at Canberra, and um, I'm not sure if all your audience will remember um, Sean Fensom, but Sean oh, was the... Uh, oh, mate. Yeah. <laughs> what a player. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he was a lockdown there for all my years. He, he came into first grade in when I got to the Raiders the first year there in 09. So I played with him every year um, that I was there. And uh, oh, he was just, let alone being a fantastic bloke off the field. Uh, he was my right hand man, you know, where we used to go for a beer and have a barbie in the backyard on the weekends, which is about all you can do in Canberra. But um, on, yeah, and yeah, yeah. And, um, and then on the field, um, Ben, I was much like yeah, Alan Tung, our, our captain as well for a while there. They're just, just a selfless, bloke that you knew every time he came to um to play with you he'd prepared the right way and he was going to bust himself for you and leave nothing on the field so um yeah i always talk about him to young kids as well Fenno and and alan tongue uh that um the, the best compliment i guess or accolade whatever you say you could get as a player is to be that player that everyone wants to play alongside uh, or a coach would pick first in his team 
and and that was for me that was players like um, Fenno and, and Tungy. What about mate the toughest player you played with? Um. Oh, oh, geez, yeah, it's hard to go past someone like. Um, Mickey Crocker. You know those, the halves in Origin. Mick Crocker was it? Yeah, one of them. Yeah, yeah, Croc. Yeah, Croc was probably one of the tougher ones for sure. He, um, Croc had an incredible ability to put his body on the line. He would. Um, I, rem- I remember as a young fellow watching him in first grade because a couple of years behind him, and uh, he would just hit that line at max speed. And hope that uh, the halfback was Brett Pincher, whoever it was, would uh, <laughs> pop a ball and hit him on the chest, and that um, he'd, he'd catch a defender being a bit sort of soft and catch their shoulder or their arm. And, and he broke through that line so many times, but he also got um, put on his bum a few times, got some knocks. Um, in defence, he would just fly into people and try and shoulder charge him like he could back then, and knock himself out at the same time, and had no no sort of um, self-preservation uh, croc. So yeah, I think. He was certainly one of the tougher ones. And, mate, for the last footy player question, he's the most underrated player, they suggest. One player you thought, Jesus, like, didn't get enough accolades in his career or, you know, could have been a part of the Queensland side or doing a whole time down there. Um, ooh, I don't have a lot of good answers for that one, sorry. Um, but I, I guess... Um, Maybe not quite answering the question, but uh, that was one thing I loved about um, I admire about the Queensland side, and it was a bit like what um, you know, Fatty Borden did back in the '90s, and Mel Meninga did in his reign too. Is he got players that were um, in inverted commas nobodies, um, like low profile, and he brought them into that Queensland side, and they just rolled their sleeves up and got on with the show and did what needed to be done for the team. And got guys like Josh Hannay and Adam Mogg and um, Jacob Lilliman played a bunch of games for the Maroons and um, they, were, they were never your household names like some of the other boys were. But, um, um, yeah, I think it, it's, it's often underrated how much of a role they played in those teams. Yeah, hugely, mate. Um, you played with Dallas Johnston as well? Oh, yeah, Dallas. Oh, gosh, go back to your question about toughest blokes. Like yeah, tough. <laughs> he, he was one of those for sure. <laughs> when he was conscious. Yeah. <laughs> how many yeah, guys? yeah. Fantastic bloke. Yeah, he was yeah. tough footballer. Very tough footballer. Um, I want to ask you, Sheila, when's your rematch with Paul Gallen? <laughs> <laughs> Is it shark to support? <laughs> <laughs> hey, one of the most famous <laughs> YouTube videos. David Gillington and Paul Gallen fight. 300 views. Uh, <laughs> I think I threw about... <laughs> <laughs> I think I threw about six punches and uh, didn't connect any of them. So um, <laughs> uh, another I remember one. years later. Shannon Hegarty as well. Oh, Hego. Oh yeah, yeah. That was my um, third first grade game, I think. And uh, from that, I remember I learnt um, get the first punch in because it could be all over before you get one in. Otherwise. <laughs> um, <laughs> Mate, you know, uh, there's obviously so many highlights in your career, you know, and, like, obviously, you know, being an NRL star got so much pressure on it, you know, and we're touching on the amount of pressure they've got now compared to probably even a couple of years ago or even 10 years ago, mate. But can you talk us through, you know, you know, one of your toughest career moments or something that you went went through as, you know, 
just just give a bit of perspective, you know, to the listeners and people like, you know, what NRL players go through, you know. I think we lose sight, and especially, you know, being passionate footy players, you lose sight that, you know, that you guys are human, you know, yeah, and it's yeah. your job and as well as your thing. But some tough moments in your career you'd like to talk about? Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, I guess, um, I guess, yeah, physically, I'll separate it from physically and emotionally, but, uh, but yeah, physically, most players just play busted. Yeah, after the the first or second year of first grade is a grace period where your body holds together, and then all of a sudden you have a knee reco, a shoulder reco, or something like that. And then just then by overcompensating, you hurt something else, and then it just keeps going and going. It's it's relentless for your whole career. So um, yeah, I, I had ten rounds of surgery uh, in my career, and um, almost didn't have a day where I was pain free. I guess. And that's not any different to a lot of players. Um, and, and, the, and the injuries really set you back. Uh, besides, you know, you've got to carry this for the rest of your life now. Emotionally, the, the injuries are what sets you back a lot because you just feel like uh, a waste of money and um, you can't contribute to your team. And, you know, as, as, a, as a man, as a team member, you want to be able to shrug it off and get on with the job and get the job done. But, um, but you're injured and, and, you, and you're no good to anyone and you kind of feel useless. So, um, yeah, you can't help them out when they're struggling. But then on the same page, you can't get amongst it uh, when they're winning as well. Enjoy those good times because you didn't contribute to it. So either way you look at it, you miss out. Uh, and then obviously there's it's a really public sort of role. So um, you start feeling that sort of judgment or pressure from fans and media um, you know, talking about you know, how good, value, good a value for money you are. Uh, and you're injured out of your control. So, yeah, I think, you know, physically and emotionally, it takes a, it takes a massive burden on you. Uh, but um, th- thankfully, like, I love playing the game. Uh, I'd love to keep playing. I always think about playing local footy. Uh, but if, if it's not for the faint-hearted, uh, that's for sure. Yeah, no, 100%. And going back, mate, like, you know, the pressures, you know, like, saying, um, now, last couple of years, like, players' mental health as you know, be the forefront, you know, and you see the media now, players like, um, you know, Latrell and Josh Dugan, you know, have come out, gee, I've come yeah. out and said they've how they've been feeling, and you know, um, how different is that now, you know, in your career, you know, seeing players, and obviously, you know, you're tough men, you can't talk about your feeling, you know, you know, rest in peace, like Lance Thompson, you know, he, um, you know, ended his life, you know, through depression, um, you know, like it's refreshing now. Players can come out and like and they defend themselves, and it's a it's a, a line ball thing because you know players are role models too, um, but also they're human beings. And you fucking make mistakes, and you you know you're allowed to have fun and you're allowed to do these things. You know, players like you know Latrell Mitchell and the media is often targeted. You know, um, like sometimes you should be, and sometimes they've gone too hard on him. You know, and so, you know where you draw the line. You know, yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, when I first started playing, uh, well, I went in the system, I guess, in the early 2000s as a young fella. If you talked about your emotions and said you were struggling, um, you would have laughed out of the dressing room. Uh, but thankfully, um, things have changed a lot and guys are pretty open these days. Yeah. I think it's fairly reflective of the rest of society with, with obviously some people and some some pockets of society still uh, fairly old, old school like that. Uh, but um, I, I love how much... We can use. I love that players, like you said, Dugs and, and GI, and that uh, are confident and comfortable to discuss um, not being okay to discuss how they've struggled. Uh, 
because that helps other people um, learn so much and it destigmatizes the topic and, and encourages others to seek help. Um, I, I know myself, you know, I, I sought help um, while I played footy and um, and I, I love sharing that story too. And because if players, you know, the old old um, stigma that you know it's you're weak if you speak or you you're not a real man if you have struggles like that. Um, I think that's been blown out of the water. Hey, because if yeah. guys like uh, you know myself and GI and so on have played for the Maroons, played footy in the toughest arena possible, and, and we're talking about our emotions and we're weak, um, yeah, I, I don't think so. So um, ho- hopefully it disarms other people and uh, encourages them to um, to seek some health because help because even if you think you're big and strong, um, you, you can have tough times. And if you think talking to a counsellor it's just for girls or for, uh, it, it won't help you. Um, think yeah. again, because there's a few of us that done it and got so much out of it. Mm-hmm. And we really value that investment um, for our happiness and for our performance at work too. Yeah, yeah 100%. I think like social media, you know, has really helped that probably a lot. Like, yeah, it's, it's bad in, in a lot of ways, but I think there's a lot of positives through social media as well that um, in terms of mental health, yeah. um, this day and age mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, it's um, it, it's it's a tougher and tougher environment, and I know some people will go, um, oh, you know, have have a cry, Shilo, a bloody, um, you get paid a fortune to do what you love, um, you should put up with that crap, you know, whatever whatever those sort of comments are, but um, but uh, yeah, I have to say it's it's a bloody tough environment. Besides that, that physical uh, battering you take, uh, the mental emotional pressure is is huge. Like I said, the the media with um, Luttrell or, or whoever it is, they're, they're like a pack of vultures sometimes and rightly or wrongly, I don't, I don't know, um, it's, it's circumstantial, but uh, you're, you're constantly being critiqued by uh, your coach, your teammates, um, your sponsors, your board, your fans, your family, your friends, people on social media that never met you, <laughs> people that probably aren't qualified to give you your opinion. So, um, yeah, it, it is a really tough thing, and, and I, I do uh, empathise with the boys a lot. Um, I, I appreciate that there's a lot of people out there that say, oh, yeah, don't, you're doing your love, you get paid a fortune, suck it up. And I think sometimes there is an element of that. But um, as, as you guys have said, we're all humans still at the end of the day, and let's, um, let's take it easy today. You're currently holding a role in NRL, mate, aren't you? Doing some work? Yeah, yeah. So I've been delivering the NRL State of Mind program for a few years now uh, since I retired. Um, I I feel, yeah, so lucky to have got that role a few months after retiring because it's a a mental health education program. Uh, We've been delivering around around Australia, really. It's been fantastic. Uh, We've got a lot of government support uh, in Queensland, a little bit federally and in other states as well. So um, using the stories of people like Joel Thompson, um, Darius Boyd, Michael Morgan, uh, who are quite open about their struggles. Yep. Yeah. Um, using their stories mixed with a fair bit of education in there. Uh, we've been delivering presentations yeah, at the grassroots level to mums and dads, footy clubs, and, and now the youth as well. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it, I, I love it because the dads come in, you know, they're, they're sometimes a bit older than me, a bit more traditional with, um, uh, the whole bottling up your emotions rather than being open about things. Uh, and then and they sort of come in with their arms crossed going, oh, I'm only here because someone told me I should be here. Uh, but then they hear the stories of Darius and, and Joel Thompson and Dan Gagai and, and they just relax and go, oh, yeah, it's not too bad, actually. 
I feel a bit better after hearing these stories because I can relate to everything they're talking about. So, um, yeah, it's a great program. Because, yeah, Darius was a big one, mate, wasn't it? Because a couple of years he wouldn't talk to the media and, like, it was kind of really, really, really strange. I don't think we've actually even heard the full extent of what he's, the full extent of what he's been through. But that's, like, something, yeah, that probably got, um, he got a real, he got a black eye on the media for a while, you know, right, rightly or wrongly how he spoke a few times. But obviously the amount of pressure that he went through would have been immense, you know. Um, but something you're obviously yeah. very passionate about, mate, and, you know, it's a great cause for the younger, for the younger athletes as well. And, you know, for people in general just to hear these big, tough blokes and that, you know, they do struggle. And, you know, you, you can have, you can be both. You can be tough and resilient and share your stories and things like that. Yeah. I think I just really encourage people to sort of um, be a bit more open and as, um, as, as, as a person yourself, but just be more open to other people as well, that we're all different. We've all had different backgrounds. Um, we all have up and ups and downs. Someone might be going through relationship breakdowns, financial stress, and we may never know about it. And that's causing them to act the way they are. And they might need a bit more support uh, from us than other times. So I think if we just be a little bit kinder to each other, um, yeah, that's, that's what I'm all about. 100%, mate. Very, very important. Yeah. I appreciate the irony, but that when I was playing football, I got in trouble for headbutting and punching people, and now I'm saying goodbye to everyone. It's release. Release. Yes. You're still going to win, mate. You're still going to win. Shiloh. Yeah. Yeah. I want to know, mate, any stories you're allowed to share? With the viewers. <laughs> I know you got a few with Finchie. Yeah. Leave a couple a few with Finchie. I know those ones. There's a couple <laughs> with Chris, Chris Anderson. <laughs> uh, with Chris Anderson. Is that, was there a story with Chris Anderson? Um, yeah. um, uh, I'm not, I don't know. I'm drawing a blank on that one. Sorry. Um, probably got a few with Finchie. Um, we won't tell those ones. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. No, it's all settled down heaps, Louis. So um, we we ran a little bit of a muck from time to time, of course. Um, definitely not an instant person, but um, nothing compared to the generation before us and oh, no. now the generation after. I think they're going to have to be um, they're going to have to be uh, very very well behaved because um, the camera man. phones came out during my yeah they came out during my time and that changed things a fair bit and now they're bloody everywhere. So. Um, yeah, it's going to be uh, there's going to be less and less of those uh, good stories. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely, mate. Mate, through your playing career, is it obviously you know you learn, you, there's lessons, and you go along the way. But is there any, any regrets you know that you have along your playing career you'd like to share? Obviously, there's probably played a few more games, but anything stands out in your mind? Oh, you always wish you went harder, and and. Uh, and you, you always wish you trained harder, took care of yourself better, um, you know, put everything on the line more in games and, uh, and did all those sorts of things. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I think that's pretty, pretty common for most, most players. Um, but, um, yeah, I, yeah, I, I try not to focus on it too much. Um, I feel, I feel really grateful, uh, that you know, I got to play for so long. I, I had two new reconstructions before I was 20. So I was at an upward sort of battle uh, to play NRL and yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's a really vulnerable sort of volatile career. Uh, I was just talking about it at lunch that you kind of have to, when you start getting, when you get an NRL career, everyone goes, 
mate, you've got to study, you've got to prepare for life after footy. You're like, oh, well, aren't I going to play for the next 15 years? I'll, I'll worry about that later. And, yeah. um, and as every contract runs up, uh, you're like, will this be my last contract? And then you get a major injury and you go, oh, is this my last game I've played? So it's, um, yeah, it's a big battle. And, and I feel really grateful that I got to sort of last for so long and enjoy it for so long. Because you signed with the Titans, didn't you? Yeah, so um, I was um, I was up there with some of the biggest waste of money the Titans uh, ever, ever spent their money on. But, um, uh, but no, I actually say that, yeah, it was a bit of disappointment. Um, it was out of my control in the end. But um, I sort of, I signed for two years with a one-year option. And I was, I was playing pretty good footy down in Canberra when I signed with the Titans, 2015-ish. And uh, so the Titans desperately sort of needed some leadership. Um, they needed a bit more sort of uh, like front row sort of stocks. And uh, so I, I went up there uh, as a supposed leader and someone's going to lead that team forward and, and uh, bend the line back and that sort of thing. And, and I played a few good games early on, but then um, I busted my shoulder again. Um, I tore my peg and fractured my clavicle and got a big cyst on my bicep head and I just couldn't tackle or do anything really. Uh, so I ended up missing about 14 weeks, the next 14 weeks of the season, came back, played one more game, just busted and um, had surgery in the off-season, retired early. So it's uh, I, I was hoping to come to the Titans, um, you know, re-establish myself in Queensland and settle down with my family and, and play a few years out with them and, and really make an impact to help turn that club around. Yeah. But unfortunately, yeah, the injuries didn't allow it and age got a bit, bit of the better of me and, and then that was it. So you retired in 2017 and prior to that season? So you played there one season, yeah? Yeah, just the one season. It's a tough conversation with your two-year contract and you're going like, you know, I've signed two years, then to make the call to retire. Is there, you see a bit of pressure in players, you know, like you see players that sign for four or five years and they want to get pushed to retire early or leave the club because they're not getting picked. It's not their fault really, is it? You know, if you've signed the contract and, you know what I mean? Like, is there pressure on the player yeah. to make the call? Yeah. I, I always cringe when I see someone pull out the loyalty um, card in, yeah. in negotiations, whether it's from the club or from the player. Yeah. Uh, because, look, yeah, it's a nice old-fashioned word, but it um, doesn't, doesn't really play much of a role these days. Yeah. Uh, too often, players will sign a contract just on a little bit of money, so to speak, uh, a couple hundred grand maybe, and then have a breakout year and all of a sudden think they're worth 500000 and yeah. and uh, you know, go, go to a club that'll pay them that much money. And then uh, and vice versa, a player might be on 500000 and get injured or play like a $200,000 player and the clubs are quite happy to move them on. So um, I think that sort of works both ways. Um, it's certainly the luck of the draw at different times. You see the plenty of players that are um, on monster contracts to the, after a breakout year and uh, haven't really delivered much since. Um, so, yeah, I tell you what, if I was a club, I'd be pretty hesitant to sign some of these young fellas in big contracts. It works out well sometimes, but other times they get left um, losing a whole lot of cash and not many results, unfortunately. Yeah, definitely, mate. It's a tough, tough thing. Juggling act, isn't it, for clubs? Mm. Big juggling act. Mm. All right, mate. What's this? Pretty much, pretty much all we got to really ask, Big Shiloh. Big Shiloh. I do want to know who who you think's going to. Yeah. Be. As all your. Hey. 
Go I was just going to ask how all your work's going there. Oh, mate, we're good. We're good. Just chipping away. That's why you're massive, mate. Chipping away, mate. Chipping away. Massive and fit, mate. Massive and fit. Nice. Yeah, you guys are looking a bit ripped there, actually. I was oh, a bit jealous. Nah, nah nothing like you back in the front, mate. Are you sure? Hey, 103 kilos. <laughs> Ripping and tearing. I'm just a winger. I'm showing you Just an average A grade footballer, mate. Hell of a Ferris. Before we leave, tip for this year's comp. Oh man, yeah. Any of the any of the top six teams seem to be capable to win it um, at this stage. You say Sharky? Uh, if I had to choose someone, <laughs> he said Beverly. Nah. <laughs> uh, are they still? Are they still all doping? Um, oh, oh, um, oh, <laughs> Don't get started with the politeness, aren't <laughs> uh, I don't know. Maybe the, I'm going to say Penrith Panthers. Um, they're red hot, and there's still still a bit of season to go, so that could change. But um, we'll put twenty on the sure. they're, they're bloody on fire, and love to see them win. They're putting twenty on the Sharks tonight. Yeah. Trust me. <laughs> you won't, you won't say that tomorrow. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, mate, mate, thanks so much for coming yeah. on. Been a pleasure, mate. Been a pleasure. Really enjoyed it. Uh, no worries, guys. Congrats again on the successful podcast. And um, yeah, thanks for having me. You watch the views go, go high. Now. <laughs> 25 people were on. Yeah, yeah. We'll just um, end the group yeah. and hold on there, buddy. We'll be, we'll be with you. Right. Sure. Thanks, guys, for listening.